Michael Heyman and you're listening to Changemakers. Now, no one built a reputation on what they said they were going to do. It's a quote much in favour with my guest today, David Jones, the co-founder of the Global Forum for Young Leaders, One Young World, the founder of the world's first brand tech group, you and Mr. Jones, and the author of Who Cares Wins, Why Good Business is Better Business. As a global purpose leader, David has a passion for the potential of young people to drive change and the role of technology empowering them to do so. To tell us more, David, welcome to Changemakers. Pleasure to have you on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. You and I go back some years. So I, I've seen the David Jones story at first hand, and I know very much of you as, as a great optimist. So it didn't surprise me that that quote, no one built a, a reputation on what they said they were going to do, was one that, that seemed to have inspired you. Tell us a little bit about that that kind of optimistic outlook. Yeah, look, I mean, I think I know we're fellow optimists. And yes, you, when you were talking about who cares wins, you reminded me it's about 12 years ago now, before, before purpose in business is fashionable. But no, look, I think, you know, there's a great little story that probably sums up my attitude in life. And it's the story of the two shoe salespeople who were sent by their companies, you know, down to South America to shoot, sell shoes. And they get they both arrive down there and uh, get out of the plane, head to the hotel rooms. And on the way, they notice that no one's wearing any shoes. And the, the f- first shoe salesperson calls their company and goes, you bunch of complete idiots. Like, you know, well, you've sent me to this place where no one wears shoes. Get me on the first plane out of here. And the second shoe salesperson, who, of course, is a shoe saleswoman, gets to her hotel room and calls her company and says, send me every pair of shoes we've got. No one wears shoes here. And I think it's, you know, it's kind of a way exactly in exactly the same situation and, and two ways of looking at it and I, I guess I'm a, a natural optimist but when it comes to that quote that's as, you know probably even less about optimism and more about just the importance of delivering mm, you know it's, re- it's really easy to say I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that but you know people will judge you by what you actually deliver rather than by what you tell them you're going to deliver. And I think it's also a a nice way of keeping your feet grounded when you're, you know, setting off on journeys and have big, you know, ambitions that to say, well, actually, your ambition counts for nothing. It's whether you achieve it or not that's important. Mm. Well, I mean, getting things done, we'll talk about that from a number of perspectives. But I, I suppose the first big one to talk about, we're, we're talking on, on the eve of, of One Young World this year in, in Munich. For somebody that goes, okay, One Young World, what is it? G- give us the sense of occasion. Give us the sense of actually what it's all about. The soundbite sense, you know, Vice have called it the world's most impactful forum for young leaders. China Daily called it the Olympics of the social field, and CNN called it the Young Davos. Um, so that sort of that you know gives you a few sound bites. But in very simple terms, when Kate and I created One Young World, it came out of a belief that the world's senior leaders were not delivering uh, and were not making progress, and that there was a unique generation of brilliant young leaders who could drive positive change and find solutions that the senior leaders weren't finding. So it's the most amazing uh, event we bring together. This year will be a few a few fewer given COVID, but usually it's 3,000 exceptional young leaders from 196 countries and put them in a room with amazing uh, counsellors. I mean, Kofi Annan was a founding counsellor, but Bob Gelder from Mohammed Yunus, Desmond Tutu, incredibly inspirational leaders. But it's all about giving them a, a platform to affect concrete, tangible change. I mean, you're right to describe it as so so many of those things but it's also joyful I think as well in terms of just seeing these kind of young minds at work the the things that people are talking about the sense of the possibilities of change I mean I suppose 
this is the first time any of them, indeed any of us, will be having this sort of event in, in, a, in the midst of a pandemic. How does that change the narrative, David, in terms of what you're expecting, in terms of how people's outlooks will have, will have moved on because of it? Look, I think what's going to be fascinating is, you know, we've, we've always run the event almost with our focus being on everyone in the room and what's happening in the room. And we, and we know there's a live stream and typically have 100,000 people following the live stream. But I think, you know, previous events have very much been, let's focus on the, the huge event and the summit and we'll just film it and, and beam that out to the world. And I think this time, and it's, it's exactly the same thing as what's happened in the world as we mean exactly what we're doing here with the Zoom interview. You know, we've spent a lot more time looking at, okay, how do you run an event that is a hybrid event the, you know, where you're taking as much uh, time and thinking as much about the people who are joining you remotely and online as you are those who are in the room. I mean, other than that, I think it's going to be the same, you know, mix of incredibly inspirational young leaders. We've got an amazing counselor lineup and, you know, I'm super excited. And I think, as you say, a lot of people will be, you know, everything has been done. The, the city of mm. Munich have been incredible. So everything's being carried out in unbelievably safe conditions to respect uh, COVID. But I think a lot of people will be excited actually to be back in in a, an, an event again. But what, what will the spirit be, do you think? What's your expectation in terms of the mindset in One Young World this year in terms of how people will feel about having lived through this massive moment in the human story yeah i think honestly so many of the issues that our one young world uh, ambassadors are dealing with you know are in their lives and in other people's lives more disruptive more challenging more complex and that's not to underplay in any way shape or form the the unbelievable impact that covid has had but i think you know i don't think it's sort of the exceptional leaders we have at, at one young world are dealing with really complex problems you know, that's what they're dedicating and focusing their lives on in an enormous number of cases. And, and I don't think it's one of those where, oh, suddenly, you know, they had a, the disruption of COVID and it's, it's back to normal. I mean, you know, we're going to have a lot of members of the Olympic refugee team living in refugee camps. I mean, if you're living in a refugee camp, COVID has clearly been a big issue. But, you know, living and surviving and coping in a refugee camp is a pretty big issue in itself mm. you know, outside of COVID. And I, I suppose the background of, of COVID is it accelerates everything in terms of your experience of challenge, your experience of change. I mean, you, you founded One Young World back in, in 2009 and spoke at that time about a leadership vacuum. Do you think that that's been filled in, in the period since or, or, is, or is actually you know, has the vacuum got worse? Yeah, look, I think, and uh, we probably shouldn't turn this into uh, into a political conversation. So, well, but I think um, leaders in uh, business... Uh, no, 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 I was, I was, I was going to be, uh, you know, talk, uh, probably very different if I'd been uh, talking to you pre the last US election. Obviously, I live in uh, in, in New York. But yeah, look, I don't, I don't think the senior leaders have made the progress we want them to. I mean, I think, you know, take issues like climate, we're not making progress. Um, mm. You know, I, I am an optimist, but I'm incredibly concerned about the impact, you know, climate change on the world and the lack of action to actually combat that. Now, clearly, with America coming back into the Paris Accord and various things like that, you know, there's signs for more optimism. But no, I, I don't think, I don't think that we are seeing it from the senior leaders in the political world. And I think the reason for that is that, you know, when you're running a country, you have to govern with the people who live in your country, first and foremost, in, in mind, because that's how you get elected and everything else has gone global. You know, business is global. The Internet has made the world global. You know, 
news and media are global. Every single facet of our lives today are global. And you have political leaders who are trapped in a, in a local system. And I think it's no surprise. I mean, one of the great things that we've been able to witness since creating One Young World, you know, if you were to say now, you know, name one person who's done more around climate change than anyone, it would be, you know, Greta, a teenager. Mm. Name one person who's done more around education than anyone, it would be Malala. So I would say that young leaders are absolutely stepping up. And I don't think the senior leaders are to anywhere near the same extent. It, it's funny because I, I was the, the second interview that accompanies this week is, is Sherry Atchison, who is a one in world global ambassador. And she's a diversity and inclusion leader. She's written a book called Demand Now. And I was saying, to, uh, if actually the producer said to me, he said, this is not next generation. This is the now generation. Yeah. I mean, you know, demand more is what her book is all about. In that environment, are leaders being found wanting right now, David, in business, socially, across around the world in your experience? Or, or do you think actually there's, there's some evidence that, you know, enough people are waking up and smelling the coffee in terms of not only the, the demand for change, but the real need for it? Look, I think we're making progress. And I think, you know, your, your point about Sherry being a leader now, not next generation, is exactly the point around One Young World. You know, we always say that, you know, they're not future leaders. They are leading now. And, you know, we had two Nobel Peace Prize nominees last year. We typically have people in the Time 100 list. So they're exceptional leaders already. I, I think we are making progress. Just take the book. I mean, you know, Who Cares Wins, about 10 years old. When I first wrote it, like everybody was very dismissive. It wasn't particularly fashionable to be talking about business mm. being a force for good. Whereas now, it was, oh, like you're on the purpose bandwagon too, because they don't realize I you know, wrote the book <laughs> 10 years ago. So just the very fact that that's happening, I think we are making progress. ESG has become a huge deal. And, you know, talking to all of the, the people I know in senior roles in, in the world of finance, you know, they express the point of view that it kind of came to them out of nowhere and has become incredibly important. So look, we're clearly making progress. Are we making progress fast enough? I would say no, we're not. And that, you know, things like COVID have actually divided the world more, you know, depending upon, you know, where you were and who you were, it was either an, kind of an okay thing to go through or, you know, very brutal. Mm, but it's interesting. You mentioned the book, you published that in 2011. And I was reading a piece where you said that, you know, you might have been 10 years too soon with some of the predictions, because you're right. I mean, at the time, it was seen as hippie capitalism, it was seen as the kind of the stuff which was fine if you were niche. Now, though, it feels that this is a much more substantive mainstream debate. Do you get a sense that the consciousness is there where you see on the one hand high degrees of activism on the streets, you see high degrees of expectation, but you also see a, a rising set of, especially in business, you know, many, many business leaders that seem to kind of get it a bit more. I mean, you talk a lot about Unilever as, as a brand that you admire. I mean, are there enough Unilevers? Is there enough consciousness? Is the time now? Look, I think it depends on the sector. Uh, you know, and I remember I wanted to find sort of 10 examples of what I call social business ideas, which were businesses mm. setting out to be a force for good. And back then it was really hard. You know, I mean, I was sort of, I probably, if we got the list out today, I'd say one or two of them it was, you know, was probably more nice washing than genuine. Whereas today, what's spectacular is there are literally, you know, hundreds of examples, not just of businesses really setting out to be a force for good, but of companies and leaders stepping up. 
And and I think, you know, when Paul Polman, the previous Unilever CEO, you know, set out on his journey and it was really trailblazing and lots of other people now, you know, have kind of joined that important and significant journey. And I think we've also seen both COVID and, you know, I live in, in New York, so this is potentially more of a US perspective, but I would say that, you know, Black Lives Matter and the tragic murder of George Floyd was, you know, every bit as significant last year, if not more so in terms of the wake up call it it gave the world. And both of those things, you know, it led to you had brands stepping beyond purpose into activism. You know, on on the COVID side, you had, um, you know, perfume companies making hand sanitizer, car companies making ventilators. I mean, you know, stuff that you would never have gone near before. And then I think when it came to to Black Lives Matter, you, you saw everything from you know, genuinely powerful involvement and engagement to, oh, like, let, let's stick a post out. And there was, there was one fantastic tweet that someone put out, which said, you know, thanks very much for your supportive Black Lives Matter tweet. Now, can you please send us a, a picture of your management team and board? Well, well, that, that's right. I mean, we had a, a great Black Lives Matter activist, Cephas Williams, on the show. And he was saying, look, allyship also means activism, that you've got to, you've got to walk the walk, not just talk it. Yeah, completely. And I think, you know, and these things are really complicated. I mean, I think leadership has become harder and harder. And, you know, the uh, I, I don't think a white male CEO should be looking for any sympathy. So, so I am not. But, you know, when when you're running a business, you know, I found actually from a business perspective, coping with with the whole impact of COVID was dramatically easier than coping uh, with all of the tragedy around George Floyd's murder, even just in terms of what you should say and do, because I, you know, I I would often get very different advice from the UK than I got from the US. And so when you're running a global company, you know, you, you're getting into a situation where it's tough to get it right. Mm. But you've also pointed to a generational divide, not least in, in the home turf of the creative industries, where, you know, you've called out the difference between holding groups that are just saying what they feel they need to say and younger generations being passionate about purpose and passionate about seeing about seeing the change. I mean, in terms of how this change happens, I mean, is it the case that we're just going to see the end of large groups that don't get it? Or are they evolving? Is there a signal out there that, that, that things might be happening? No, look, I think, you know, today, you just, you, will you see the end of them? It's not necessarily as brutal of that as that, but will you see that they find it harder and harder to attract the right talent? Yes, absolutely. I mean, going back to where we started, the comment about, you know, not building rep- reputations based on what you say you're going to do. If, if it's all words, if it's, you know, enormous numbers of people changing their logos to the rainbow flag and doing nothing else, you know, that kind of stuff just doesn't cut it. So it's either genuine and you do things and you do things beyond Pride Week. And so I think, yes, absolutely. You will see that the best and brightest young talent just won't join companies like that. And people won't buy the products of, of companies like that. And it's already starting to happen. And, and I suppose, you know, the authenticity of your points is that you know what it's like that side of the, that side of the fence. But of course, a lot of what you're doing today is the building of you and Mr. Jones, the creation of the brand tech category. Tell us a little bit about the business. Tell us a little bit about what makes it exciting and why brand tech might be that category for the future? Sure. So look, I mean, you know, as you know, I was running Havas, big then publicly listed communication group. And I could, you know, it was obvious, and this is seven, eight years ago now, obviously we, the, the company's six years old, but 
it was just obvious that the mobile phone had come along, it had disrupted all marketing, and every single CMO I was talking to was saying a very similar thing. It's like, we need help. You know, suddenly we've got enormous numbers of new channels, we've got to create content for access to unprecedented levels of data. Every single person on the planet has become a content creator. And, you know, marketing has just become a very, very different world than the one where we made our three TV commercials and, and job done. And we need help. And, you know, and we go to the holding companies for that help. And whilst they're great at the brand piece, they don't get tech and don't really want to. And we go to the tech platforms and they have a phenomenal tech platform, but they're never going to send you to another tech platform, they'll never be objective. And, and what I was hearing is what we really need is someone who can be expert in both brand and tech. Mm. Um, and so we called it a brand tech group, raised $300 million to go launch it. That was, you know, back in June 2015. And, and today we are, you know, 4,500 people globally, growing over 40% organically this year, the world's largest global digital partner for, for many of the biggest brands in the world. As well as being this super success story in terms of the businesses that you're investing in and, and I guess the areas. There, there is also a sense of, of mission that you get. We interviewed Amy Williams, who you've a good loop, who you've invested in. And you know, she said that a lot of what she's doing, I mean, she really feels the sense of purpose, of impact, of making a difference. I mean, does that percolate through all of the investments? I mean, she talked about this this idea of the kinder age for capitalism. I mean, is that part of what you're buying into? And I'm just wondering, is that how the shareholder meetings work uh, when yeah. when, you're, <laughs> when you're talking? No, look, I mean, you know, we're a private company, so we, we're able to have a, a long-term view on everything. So don't necessarily have the, the same pressures of, of, of the publicly listed world. But look, you, I mean, you know, back to you know, the days of writing the book. I mean, I've always believed that, you know, doing good and making money, you know, don't actually need to sit in, in two separate parts. And that's the way I kind of run my life and, and my career. And so, you know, I have One Young World as the, the, the doing good component, you and Mr. Jones as the making money component, but we've actually given equity in you and Mr. Jones to One Young World. So the hope is that one day that will allow us to make a very significant contribution to the charity. But we also have, you know, enormous numbers of the team who get involved and volunteer and help with different things. And so I would say, you know, the, the One Young World is our purpose at you and Mr. Jones, but also purpose is something that runs through the culture of all of the companies we acquire and we invest in. So whether it's, you know, Amy at Goodlube, we also invested in a terrific business last year called Black Tag, which is both a, an African-American content creator platform and a, a publisher. So yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we, we are unlikely to ever invest in a business that isn't driven in some way, shape or form by trying to make the world a better place. Mm. I was going to say, because I was going to ask about that, because it, it strikes me that a lot of your investments are driven by people that want to make a difference, that that, that is part of their central entrepreneurial energy, if you like, is that they are in every way, in every way, a change maker. And I suppose it got me thinking that as we look towards what life might be like in a post-coronavirus age, I mean, are we going to see the rise of more leaders that can make the difference? I mean, is, is the seedbed being created now, David, when you look around the sort of, I guess, 
the scale up businesses that you're investing in, in terms of are there enough of them out there for the investors to find if they want their capital to follow the idea of making that difference? Yeah, but I don't think it, I don't think COVID is a, you know, a factor in it. I think they, they were there beforehand and growing and scaling and they're thereafter. And actually what, you know, technology is the thing that has made the millennial or Gen Z generation so completely different in the sense that, you know, Kofi Annan, who was one of our amazing counsellors every year, you know, he always used to say, you're never, you know, you're never too young to lead and you're never too old to learn. But, you know, the reason that this generation in particular wasn't too young to lead is that they understood more about technology and its power than anyone. And what has COVID done? It has just completely accelerated, you know, the, the disruption of technology. And in, in simplistic terms, any business that was around or in or tech enabled did brilliantly and legacy businesses did poorly. And brilliant young leaders with innovative, smart entrepreneurial ideas uh, that were in the tech space, you know, that there was just a huge acceleration of those. Mm. I mean, I, I get that point. I mean, obviously that technology has been this huge accelerator, but the thing I'm sort of thinking about is that when you hear global leaders, I mean, you mentioned the young Davos, a point I've made in earlier episodes is that when you hear somebody like Klaus Schwab talk about that this is the moment of the great reset because, you know, COVID has opened the world's eyes to the problems around it. I mean, do you think that that's just good words or do you think that we're now seeing good actions? I'm just not sure that it's COVID that opened people's eyes to it, you know? Mm. I think that, that would be my only observation. I think COVID, you know, everybody's experience with COVID completely depends upon what they do and where they are. So a lot of, you know, wealthy company CEOs who were able to kind of decamp to their nice houses found it quite fine. Whereas in poorer countries of the world where vaccinations don't exist and basic healthcare facilities, you know, don't exist, it was brutal. And so I'm just not sure that it's COVID that has really been the, the kind of big driver and the big shift of change. And I also think we will, and we're not quite sure how long it's going to take, but we will beat COVID. We need to have the same level of urgency on climate because mm. the day that you know the tipping point hits us in climate, it will be too late to ask everyone to wear masks and roll out vaccinations and have lockdowns. You know, and I and I think that's probably the thing. You know, the the world's re- COVID has been a tragedy. The world's response to COVID, depending upon where you are, has has either been good, average, or crap. But I do think we need the same level of urgency around climate. Or by the time we understand its implications, it'll be too late. So. Back to you, David. I, w- I was thinking about this in the in the run up to the interview. I was thinking, well, if I was to take three words that I think about when I think about you, I think about intelligence, kindness, and energy in terms of three factors that make the the kind of David that I think. Uh, I think you're right I, on the last two. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, sure about the first well, one. well, I think I think the thing is is that I think you've established that at Havas. I think you've definitely established it with you and Mr. Jones. But, you know, and it got me thinking about. You know, this quote that we started the interview with about, you know, no one builds a reputation, what they said they were going to do. And and in terms of what that means to you, is there a wish list that sort of drives that energy, that drives that positivity? I mean, are there to do items? And, and if so, what's on the wish list? Look, I think, you know, there's n- there's nothing specific as in I need to do that. I mean, maybe that, you know, I used to have that. I go, I want to be global CEO of a big advertising agency group by the age of 40. Sick. Um, but but you know, I, I think there's not a specific tangible thing. 
But, you know, the, there's a great cartoon or I have hanging on the wall in the house in New York. And it, it just says, did I live? Did I love? Did I matter? And I, my advice to my kids is, you know, you, you want to be able, like when you're coming to the end of your life, you want to be able to look back and, and say yes to, you know, did I live? Did I love? Did I matter? What a um, wonderful trio. Exactly. And I think, I think obviously the work we do at One Young World is so important and so significant. And I think you know, to be able to scale that to the impact that it can have on the world is something that I would love to be able to achieve. We are getting there. It's amazing where it is today compared to, you know, 10 years ago, or a little bit more than that now when we, when we started. But I believe that if, if we continue on the path we're on, there's no reason that people won't look at one Young World in exactly the same way they look at a TED or a Davos. And then from a business perspective, you know, I think we're we're building something really exciting with, with you and Mr. Jones. We've got an amazing group of, of partners. We've been named one of the world's most valuable private unicorns by CB Insights. But I think, you know, building the number one global company in this category of brand tech. So those, those would probably be the two most, you know, specific answers to the question. But at a big picture level, the did I live, did I love, did I matter is the answer. Well, and, and my last question would be, is, is there one of those which is which is a, the priority to you in terms of did I love, did I live, did I matter? Hard to say. Hard to say. Maybe, maybe, maybe matter. But um, I've, I've kind of, uh, I've, I've done a lot of living. <laughs> so no, I, I, yeah, look, I think they're all pretty, they're all pretty significant and all pretty important. But, you know, I, I think the, you know, Making sure that you've delivered. I, if you're, if you are lucky enough to be born into a situation, which means you're going to end up getting good education, so you'll end up getting a decent job, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And it's one of the other things I always say to my kids: are like the difference between you growing up in New York in a family that can send you to a nice school and someone being born in a, a Sudanese refugee camp is just luck. You know, there's nothing, yeah. I mean, there's nothing I did, they did, et cetera. And I think if you've been put into a position where you have that luck, you kind of have a, a responsibility to try and do something to give back and to sort of help help those who didn't necessarily have the luck that you got. I, and, and, and very much make a difference. I think that's yeah. been very much the story of today. David James, thank you very much for joining me on Changemakers. It's a pleasure, Michael. Good to see you. Take care. Changemakers is brought to you by the campaigns firm Seven Hills and presented by me, Michael Heyman. Pure Being is the name of our soundtrack and it's written and performed by the brilliant BT Wolf. To find out more, head over to changemakers.works and if you like what you hear, why not give us a rating?